This is Luke chapter 2. So, and I'm sure a lot of us have heard this before. Maybe have even read it. So, Luke chapter 2. Do you find it? Luke chapter 2. And then if you go, so we're going to look at a couple places, maybe, if we have time. But for sure, we're going to look at verse 8. Okay, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray now for the Holy Spirit to give us help, and then we'll start. Oh God, we come before you now in the name of Christ, and we praise you that wherever we go in this world, whether it's here, whether it's um, in a church, whether it's, it's, whether it's on the street, whether it's in a home, Lord, we know that you're in our midst and that your presence is with us. And Lord, we pray, oh God, that you would give us grace as the word goes forth today, that you would give the word much uh, power and unction, that you would... Uh, bless, oh God, bless us with ears to hear. Please, oh God, let us see Christ today. Let us see Him exalted, Lord. Let Christ be lifted up, made much of. We thank You for the great work of salvation, uh, for this plan that You begun from eternity past. Help us now, oh God, as we proclaim this glorious message of Christ, these things that the angels themselves long to look into, Lord. Help us, oh God, as we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 2. So so as you see, so in verse 8 it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, there's a lot of speculation, and I think there's some good good reason to believe that, that these particular shepherds who were out in the fields, that they were actually the shepherds that would have been uh, watching the sheep that were slaughtered at the temple in Jerusalem twice a day. There, 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 there were sheep. There were lambs. They were, they were sacrificed in the morning and they were sacrificed at night. And there's good reason to... to and I won't get behind all the reasons why uh, there's reason to believe that. But, but it is interesting to think. But they're shepherds. They're out in the fields. Who else have we seen in the Bible who are shepherds? We've seen David, right? David is the, is the premier shepherd. He's out there with the, with the sheep. Um, so these guys are, are, are living... Uh, out in the land, they're watching over this flock. It's nighttime. That's very important. It's nighttime. It's not during during the middle of the day. And you notice God's providence. God could have appeared to them during the day. He didn't have to. He didn't have to do it at night. So it makes you wonder why does He wait till nighttime? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, but there's a reason. There's a few things that happened because it's night. Number one, verse nine. Um, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And so you imagine, right, if you, see, if you see angels during the daytime and they have this glorious, this glorious magnificent, uh, magnificent radiance that's just shining from them, this effulgence, they're, they're glowing like the sun. Well, during the daytime, it would, that would be quite the spectacle to behold. These angels suddenly appearing in the sky during the daytime, right? And you, you, don't get me wrong, it's still mesmerizing, it's dazzling. People would still be afraid, as we'll talk about in a minute. They'd still fall on their faces, they'd still react to it. But the fact that it's at nighttime, that's a whole other thing, right? That's a whole other glorious display of God's, of God's power. And that's why it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. You notice it doesn't say the glory of the angels. 
It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. Because the angels, you have to remember this, okay? The angels derive their glory from who? God. It's not like they themselves, it's not like God existed and angels existed alongside of God. God is the one who created the angels. And because He creates the angels, the, 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 the radiance that they have is it comes from God. They derive that from God. Just like the sun, just like the moon. We look at that and we say, you know, the radiance that you see in the sun and in the moon, those things are the, the sun and the moon. When God creates the sun and the moon, the, um, it talks about it on the fourth day. You see that God creates these lights to, to, to help us as far as our seasons go, as far as the patterns of the year go. Uh, but these things are derived from God. So these angels, they have the glory of the Lord. They have the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord shone before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Excuse me, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And did y'all notice the response? What's their response? Afraid. They're afraid. Why are they afraid? That's quite a, you know, that's, that's quite a statement, if you think of it. Why, why would they be afraid of angels? They don't understand. They, it's it's supernatural. It's a it's it's a heavenly creature. It's an otherworldly kind of creature. It's different. I mean, you don't see angels every day. You don't see these bright, assumingly enormous <coughs> figures every single day. So when they do appear, there is a reaction that is a fear. And so the fear here is yeah, exactly. So it's number one. It's the it's the kind of fear that you have whenever you encounter something strange or different or otherworldly. They don't understand it, right? That's exactly right. And if you think about the word holy, by the way, you know when the Bible calls God holy, holy, holy? Mm -hmm. Holy is like that. Holy means it's different. It's separate. It's not like anything else. There's something unique about it. That's the the main word. That's the um, the main definition of that word holy. Is it's different. It's set apart. And so something like this is happening with the angels. They see this, but there's also something else. You know, anytime... Here's the other thing. Um, in John, Revelation, in the book of Revelation, John, when he sees an angel, do you remember his reaction? So he sees Christ, he falls at Christ, he falls over as if dead when he sees Christ. But on two different occasions, John does homage and worship to this angel in the book of Revelation. And both times the the angel has to say, John, don't worship me. I'm just a man. Or excuse me, a creature. He's not a man. He's a creature. He said, don't worship me. You're supposed to worship God alone. Don't worship me. But why is he he worshiping this angel? It's almost like he's so overwhelmed by by the glory and the splendor of this being that he realizes it's otherworldly, and so he goes to do homage. So all this is a factor here. Here's the thing, though, okay? So the fear is this. The fear is also, I think, a, a sense of conviction of their sin and the sense of they're human. They're, they're, they realize they're unclean. They realize that they're sinful. And this creature comes from the presence of God. This creature is coming from the throne room of heaven and is entering into the presence of man. And that causes a certain type of fear. That causes a certain type of guilt, overwhelmed by, by the sense of, of, of shame. Um, that's why Adam hides in the garden. If you remember Adam, he sins against God. What does he do after that? He hides. He knows he's guilty. All of these things are a factor as far as this word fear goes. Okay? They were greatly afraid. Notice they're not just afraid. That's, that's an emphasis, and especially in the original language, it would come through a lot better. But it's saying that they're, it's not just afraid. You're greatly afraid. You're terrified. 
You're astonished or with trembling. Something like that. So verse 10 though, here's, here's this, this is nice, right? And you see this a lot. Verse 10, what's the reaction of the angel? The angel sees these guys. The, he, the angel realizes these guys are terrified. What's the reaction? Check this out. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. That's nice. Isn't that good? You know, whenever John falls at his feet or falls at the feet of Christ, Christ goes to John he says something like this. Don't be afraid. He lifts them up. He encourages them. You see this a lot. Anytime that the, the disciples, they see Christ, a certain occasion happens. They're overwhelmed. They're afraid. Christ goes. What's He do? He encourages them. He, he, he's, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It is I, Christ says, right? Uh, when He's walking on the water and they're terrified. They don't know who it is. He says, it's I. Don't be afraid. So you see this. But here the angel is saying this. And of course... I want to clarify, the angel is not the same as God. We know that, right? The angel and God are on two different levels. They're not the same thing. But what I'm saying is that because the angels are near the presence of God, they are supernatural. There is a sense in which, because of their place in the hierarchy of creation, there is a sense in which they are closer to the throne room than we are. So we don't worship them. We don't bow down to them. we 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 don't even pray to them. But they are otherworldly. They are, they are something um, that people are always fearful of whenever an angel shows up in the presence of someone. So the angel says this, so do not be afraid. Why? He gives the reason. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Good tidings of great joy. You see that? Notice the double play there on the good and great. Good tidings. What's he say? Good tidings of great joy. Okay, now... We've all heard this before, I'm assuming. We've all read this before, maybe a hundred times, a lot of times, right? We've all read, we've all heard the Christmas story, but have we ever just stopped? Just really just stop and, and work through these words and think about what these words mean and grasp them as, this, as, as though it was the first time we've ever heard this. Okay, because sometimes, you know how it is when you hear something a thousand times, it kind of, it becomes dull once you hear it again. It loses the edge. It loses the punch. Because you've heard it a thousand times. But think about this, okay? An angel from the heavenly realms comes to these men who are shepherds out in the middle of the night. And and they're, of course, trembling. And he says, don't be afraid. Why? I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy. Now, what are those good tidings of great joy? Now, good tidings would be something like good news. That's where you get the word gospel from. You've heard of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. But great joy, okay? Um, Great joy is a response to the gospel, right? Here's what he says, though. He describes it. For there, now notice also he says for all people. We're gonna we're gonna really talk about what that means in a minute because that's that's extremely important. This idea of all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David. What's the city of David? That's a good, it's kind of a quick trick question there because a lot of times the city of David is a reference to Jerusalem, but yeah, Bethlehem, okay, Uh, because that's where David was from. Um, David, uh, uh, excuse me, for there is born to you this day the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, a Savior. Now, ask yourself this, we've heard the title that Christ is a Savior a thousand times before, right? What does Christ save us from? Our sins. Yeah. Hell. Hell. Amen. That's exactly right. Yeah. 
And, and, and I've heard it said this, and I th- this way, and I think it's exactly right. You know, Christ comes to save us from, from our sins and from hell. But what, what, why is it that we need to be saved from our sins? It's because of God, who God is. It's who God is. So what does Christ save us from? Christ saves us from the justice of God. Think of that. He saves us from the justice of God. If it wasn't for Christ, would it be... Let me ask you this. Would God be, would, would God be right? Would God be a good judge if, if He damned every single person who's ever existed, aside from Christ, of course, to hell? Would it be a good judge if He did that? Yeah, he would be. He would be a good judge. He would? Yes, ma'am, because that's what we deserve. You see that? Because David tells us in the Psalms, he says, In sin, my mother's conceived me. Romans 3 says, There is none who do good. No, not one. There's no one righteous. And Abraham, remember what Abraham tells God. He says, God, you are the judge of all the earth. And the judge of all the earth has to judge rightly. Right? Because if he, just, if he doesn't judge rightly, he's corrupt. And so what I mean by what I, my question, what I mean by my question was this, okay? It would be correct. It would be right. It would be just for God to damn every single person who's ever existed to hell. Why? Not because God is mean and God is cruel, but because God is good. God is a good judge. You see that? What do we deserve? We deserve damnation. We deserve to go to hell. That's what we deserve. We're rebels of God when we're born, and we're rebels of God throughout our life. And so that's what we deserve, right? If, a good, if God's a good judge, then of course He's going to judge correctly. That's what Abraham says. And we see manifestations of God's good and righteous judgment throughout the Bible. Think about in the context when God goes to Abraham and says, and Abraham says, the judge that all the, the earth must judge rightly. Abraham's referring to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? That's an evil city. There's people doing evil there. And what does God do? He comes and judges that city. That's not a mean thing that God does. That's a righteous thing that God does. Think about, think about the flood. Okay? In the days of Noah. In the days of Noah. You notice who God destroys. Every single person except one family. And that family spared only because of the faith of one man, namely Noah. Everyone else gets wiped out because God is a good judge, right? God's not a mean judge or a mean God for wiping out, destroying the earth. No, it's because of their sinfulness. It's because of their evil, their rebellion against God. That's why God does that. He's a good judge. And so the problem that we have, you see, the problem that we have whenever we're born into this world is the fact that we are rebels of God and God is a good judge. How can we be right with God if God's a good judge and we're, we're criminals, we're sinful? We sin against God. We go astray from God. We violate God's word. We violate God's commandment. We don't love our neighbors. We bite. I can attest to the fact, you know, I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old and the one-year-old's already biting the three-year-old and the three-year-old's punching back and it's, it's mayhem. Where did they learn that? It's in them. See that? It was in me. It was in you. They're just defending themselves. Well, 
Actually, no, they're not. It's, it's, sometimes one gets smacked and the other smacks back. That's, the, that's self-defense. But usually it's, you know, I want your Cheetos, so I'm going to bite you and take it. Something like that. And so that, but what it shows, though, is that we inherit this sinful nature from the time we're born. And this sinful nature causes us to go astray. We begin to sin. We willfully sin. It's not like someone's twisting our arm and making us do something that's sinful, right? We willingly fall into sin, go after sin. And so back to my question, right? Go back to this question now and ask yourself, okay, this whole idea of a Savior, you realize now, okay, why is this such good news? Why is this such great joy? Because apart from a Savior, I'm undone. I have no hope in this world. The only thing I have to look forward to is the the righteous wrath of the Almighty God of the universe because I've sinned against Him all my life. Amen. Amen. But He made you that way. What God did not... So God didn't make me that way. I inherit that from Adam. True. But ultimately, you know what, what it comes down to is Adam is not the one making me sin. That's why I'm responsible for it. You and I don't sin because Adam made us. We sin because we want to sin. Yeah. And so this is why it's such an important thing that in God's kindness... See, here's the beauty of this, right? The beauty of this is this. God does not have to do anything about our condition, our sinful state. God does not have to do anything. If you think about it, right? God's not required to send a Savior. God's not required to do something about our condition. But... Motivated by love, God does do something about it. That's what Christmas is all about. One time I preached on this, and I, I and, and um, someone else mentioned this too. It's where I got the idea. But they said Christmas is about the wrath of God. Think of that, and you're like, wait a minute, what? Christmas is about the wrath of God? That's not what I've heard. It is about the wrath of God. The wrath of God necessitates a Savior to be spared from that wrath. And how can I be spared from that wrath? It's because God Himself takes on flesh and is born of a virgin named Mary in Bethlehem. Right? So the wrath of God is... is, is we're, we're spared from that. We're, the wrath of God is quenched by this person. This, this who they say. Look what they say. They say, um, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Anointed One. The Messiah. What's the Messiah? Right? The Messiah is the idea, it's, it's all the way in the Old Testament, of course, you have this idea of one that God is going to send to deliver His people. That's going to take care of His people, restore His people, save His people. And so on this, this random night, and, and, and as far as the man's interpretation of it, you know, these guys are just doing what they always do. They're out in the fields by night. They're doing their thing. They're with the sheep. They're with the flock. It's cold, maybe. Or is it summertime? I don't know what it's like in Israel in December. But you know, they're out there and all of a sudden, bam! What appears? Angels. And of course they're terrified. And then the angels say, hey, listen, I have good news. I have good news. Great tidings, good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Now, if you can imagine, these guys are like, wait a minute, what? I wasn't even looking for this. It's not like they're out there. It doesn't say they're out there praying to God and saying, God, will you please come now? God, please give us a Redeemer. God, please save us. 
God in His mercy shows up. You see that? In His providence and in His kindness, He is the one who determines. Paul the Apostle in the New Testament talks a lot about this. In, in the fullness of time, right? In the fullness of time, God reveals this mystery, the gospel. How He was going to save a people for Himself. Because what this comes down to, as I mentioned with justice, what this comes down to is how can God deliver or save a wicked rebel people and still be a good judge? Do y'all realize that is a significant problem? Think about the problem. Okay, Think about this. Can a good judge be good if he lets an evil guy off the hook? No. No! He's corrupt. So how can God, if God's a good judge, how can God let an evil guy off the hook? Namely, myself. Or you. How can He let us off the hook if He's a good judge? That's the conundrum. You see that? That's the problem. And you're looking at it, and I'm looking at it, and they're looking at it, and everybody's always, the devil himself looked at it. Like, God, how can you do this? God, how can you spare David? When David sleeps with a man's wife, he kills the man, the woman's husband. He does all these corrupt things, and yet, what does God say? He's a man after my own heart. How is that? A good judge can't say that about a murderer, about an adulterer. Right? A good judge doesn't say that. So even the devil himself is saying, see God, you're corrupt. You're not right. You're not fair. So God is going to respond. You know how God responds? He responds by saying, look at my son. You see, what does Christ do? Christ lives a life that's sinless, that's perfect, that's without any blemish, without any stain. He always loves God. All his heart, all his soul, all his mind. He's always doing what God calls him to do. And then what does he do? He goes to the cross. Remember that? And and see, it's on the cross where God judges our sin. But he has somebody, in other words, somebody has to pay for our sin if God is going to be a good judge. And so. How does God respond to any kind of accusation like, God, you're unjust because you let a wicked guy like Ryan Denton off the hook. You let a wicked guy like David off the hook. You let a wicked guy like Abraham or any of these guys. You say you're a good judge, but how do you let these guys off the hook? You know what God says? I didn't let them off the hook. God says, I didn't let them off the hook. I came to earth... And I paid for their sin in their place. All the sins of David fell upon Christ on the cross. All the sins of Ryan fell upon Christ on the cross. All the sins of God's people from throughout history, from Adam all the way to the end of time, fell upon Christ when He's on the cross. Thereby satisfying the justice of God. Thereby allowing God to make the claim that He is both just and and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. It says that in Romans 3. That's why this is such good news. You see that? Because without Christ coming to earth, people are helpless. We have, no, we, we have nothing going for us. We have no, no way to be right with God. And so these angels are coming to these, these men, these shepherds, and saying, listen, all of this trouble that, 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 that you have about your sin, about your, your, the fact that you're, that you're sinful, the fact that you're a rebel of God, God has an answer for that. God has a response to that. And the response is, look what it says again, Christ the Lord. 
Very simple. A very simple phrase. Christ the Lord. Now, if you didn't have your New Testament, would you have that word Lord in the Old Testament anywhere? Think about it. Think about have you ever have you ever seen the word Lord in the Old Testament? Anywhere. Yeah, a lot of places, right? That's a lot of places. Um, usually if you think of the idea of Yahweh, Yahweh is transliterated, it comes in, it comes through to us in the English translations as Lord. Usually capitalized. L-O-R-D, right? Yeah. Lord. So, look what you have here. He says, Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And then it says this, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Think of this. Okay, So now you have one angel that you're terrified of. You're terrified of one angel. That's, a, that's quite the sight. You can imagine. It's nighttime. You're out there. You're not expecting it. All of a sudden you see this angel... People have fallen on their faces with terror and horror before when an angel shows up. Now you don't just have one angel. Do you see what happens? You see the switch? Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of angels. Not just one, a multitude. And what are they doing? They're praising God. Notice they're not not proclaiming it to men anymore. They're praising God in the presence of men. So the men are seeing this, but they're praising God. It says, uh, they say, glory to God in the highest... And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You see that? Because of what God has done, there is to be on earth, what does it say? Peace. Peace. Now, ask yourself this. Well, 2,000 years later, there doesn't seem to be much peace on earth yet, right? You don't see a lot of peace. Okay, but here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's the thing. Okay. If you look at it from the long-term perspective, there is something that is happening from this time. Let me ask you a question. How many Christians were on the earth whenever the angels appeared to these men? How many people devoted to following Christ? Not many. You would, I, w- I would include the, the believing Israelites. So you'd have people like Anna. You'd have people like Simeon. You'd have people that, that truly are worshiping God. right? So they would be someone who are God-fearers. They follow. They're, they're looking forward to the Messiah. Okay? But, but did you notice back here where he said this? He says, he says which will be to all people. And, I, and I, I pointed out, we'll come back to that. Okay, this idea of good tidings of great joy for it will be for all people. At this particular moment in the history of of the universe, of the world, salvation was 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 specifically just for the Jewish people, ethnic Israel. At least in the minds of people. You know, that's kind of how that's that's kind of what was going on in, in Israel at that time. That was the mindset, right? But then what happens is as Christ gets older, you'll remember when he has that conversation with Nicodemus and it's night, it's at night, and he he tells Nicodemus what? He says, for God so loved the world 
For God so loved who? The world, right? He's telling this, this Jewish teacher, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And implied in that is, who did God give His Son to? The world. Not just Jews. Not just the physical descendants of Abraham. He gave His Son to the world. For anyone who believes Him. And so when you're looking at the... Let's, let's take a map, or if you're looking at something like this, at this time, let me ask you a question. When we're talking about peace on earth, right? And we're saying, ah, I, don't really, I don't really see that. I mean, what do you mean peace on earth? Ask yourself this. Do you think that, let's say, 2,000 years ago, were there people in America 2,000 years ago, and I'm not talking the United States, of course, but in the Americas, you know, the continent... There were, right? There were Indians, or, you know, there were people here, natives, right? Uh, up in Germany, you know, thousands of miles away from this place in Jerusalem, or Bethlehem, thousands of miles to the north. Were there people in what's now called Germany? Yeah, there were. Were there people in what's now called China, now called India, right? There were. There were people all across the map, just like today. You have people all across the globe. Maybe not as many, but you have people spread out and all this. Here's the thing, though, okay? Was there any hope for any of these people at that time? None. Zero. Every person who died in northern Germany, or what we call Germany, the northern Europe, when they, do, when they died 2,000 years ago, they go straight to hell. Why? Because of their sins. Uh, same thing with China, same thing with the Americas, same thing with all these places. There had been no zero impact of the gospel in any of these areas, in any of these realms. Zero. But then you fast forward 2,000 years, and I just think it's so incredible that, that we are here across the ocean from where this took place. Across the, across the sea. We're talking 2,000 years removed, but we're on a different continent. We're speaking a different language. We have different cultures. We're nothing like as far as if, 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 if you dropped us into, into Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, man, we would be in a bad way. <clears throat> Everything's different. Everything looks different, tastes different, smells different. They talk, everything's different, right? But how is it? Think about how incredible this is. We're talking about the same Christ that the angels were talking about whenever they appeared to the, to the, to the shepherds. The same Christ. And one day in glory, if you're in Christ, you're going, you're going, to, be, you're going to be sitting at the same table as these guys who were the shepherds out in the field that night 2,000 years ago when the angels appeared. That's what it means that this is good news for the whole world. This is good news for everybody. Not just a particular group, not just a particular whatever. It's good news for anybody who calls upon the name of Christ because Christ came to die for His people. And His people consist, what's the Bible say? Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. That's why, here's, here's what else it says. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. You know, a lot of times, and we, we look at this and we're like, Well, of course you would. Of course you would. You just see these angels and they're like, Hey, unto you has been born a child this day. Unto you a, a Savior, Christ the Lord. And you're thinking, man, we got to go see Him. Yeah. We've got to go check Him out. But here's the thing, you know what? Think of this. There were people that appeared to Herod. They said, Herod, the king has been born. The king, we know where he is. Actually, Herod's like, where is he? Bethlehem. 
But what's, what's, what's Herod's reaction? It's not this, right? Herod's reaction is not, hey, let's go see him. Let's do homage to him. Let's worship him. Let's bend the knee. Because the Christ, the Son of God, He's come to earth. Of course you're going to do homage, right? No. No. Herod didn't. He did not. So here's what it comes down to, right? Here we have the Christmas story. Here we have Christ taking on flesh, coming to earth so that He can go and and be a ransom for His people. It's that Christ who knew no sin would be sin on our behalf so that that Christ would, would bear the curse of the law so that we as God's people will never bear that curse. That's why He comes, right? But here's the thing. There is a response to this that we're called to have. If you have faith in Christ... If you truly see this and say, I see this as my Savior coming to earth to die for my sins, there's two responses here. There's the response of these guys who say, well, let's go then. Let's go, let's go check it out. Let's go to this man. Let's do homage to this man. Of course, at this time he's a baby, but now we're saying he's the Lord of, he's the Lord of glory. He's in heaven now. He's seated at the right hand of God. Let's go do homage to him. Let's give our life to him. Let's, let's, let's devote all, all we have for him. Everything we have left in the tank, let's, let's give it all to Him. Amen. Amen. But you know what the tragedy is? There's another side to this. Because the Scriptures say about the Gospel that it's an aroma of life and life, or it's an aroma of death. It's either, it's, it says that the preaching of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God and salvation. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. You hear this. You hear this. But let me ask you a question. Does your life reflect the faith that you claim to have in Christ? Right? Because it's easy to say, oh, I believe it. I, you know, every... December 25th rolls around, I, I celebrate. But the rest of the year, I'm like, nah, I don't. There's no real impact of Christ on my life. I have no desire. I'm never in His Word. I'm never talking to Him. I'm never praying. All that, right? So those are markers. That's not what saves you. You're saved by faith alone. That's, you're saved by going to Christ. But when you go to Christ, there is a response that takes place. There's fruit that manifests itself in our lives that show, that demonstrate, yes, look, this is a... this Because these disciples, or these shepherds, you know what they could have done? They could have... These angels appear to them, they hear it, they could have said, yeah, that's cool and everything, but, yeah, we got stuff going on here right now. So we're going to take care of this stuff, and later on, yeah, we'll... I mean, that's nice, and we believe it. But that would have demonstrated they don't really believe it. They don't really get the magnitude of it. Just like Herod. What does Herod do? Hey, here he is. He's born. He even goes to the Pharisees. People that search the Scriptures. There's a sense in which he, he seems to get a little bit that, yeah, the Scriptures show where the, where the Messiah is to be born. Well, he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so it's weird because Herod has this weird sense of, okay, well, if the Scriptures say he's to be born in Bethlehem and all these babies are in Bethlehem... Go kill them, because apparently the Messiah is among them. You see that? And, and today, you know how it is. There is a real sense in which you can have that heart of Herod. 
He might not be the king who's able, has the power to go and try to eliminate the Messiah per se. And you might even say, well, I would never destroy the Messiah, right? But the idea is this. The idea is this. If you look at your life and you say, you know, honestly, and be honest, you don't have to say it out loud, but really examine yourself and say, you know, honestly, I operate in my life like an atheist. I'm not an atheist. But the way I operate in my life is like an atheist. There's no real sense of Christ in my life anywhere. Right? That's what I'm talking about. See? Because especially in this season, one of the most important things that we can do is to go to Christ. And if you're worried and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm, I don't know or not. What, what's the advice? Go to Christ. You know? You come and talk to me. You come and talk to David. And we'll talk to you by all means. We will give you everything we have to direct you, point you. But notice it's that. It's pointing you. It's directing you towards Christ. You see? So examine yourself. I've heard a lot of horror stories. You know, people are on their deathbeds and they're still like, no, nah, I'm just not. I can't really commit. I can't commit to this Christ. You're like, well, why not? Well, I don't know, man. If I do that, I've got to, you know, it's just, I've got to, I can't live for me anymore. Well, why would you want to live for you? Yes, ma'am. My son, for instance, he passed away in April or May. I don't remember which month of this year. And he told me his mother didn't have to worry about me for me and the good Lord. I won't talk about this last night. He says, I know I'm going. Well, praise God for that, because I had no idea what kind of religion had. They not lived around me for years. I hadn't had an opportunity talking about it. But after that, I felt so comfortable with the fact that he was gone. Mm-hmm. I really did. <coughs> so, but he said, don't worry about your mother. Lord and I had our talk last Good long talk. Amen. I know where I'm going. You see, and that's exactly why this is good news, good tidings of great joy. Because there is a solution to our dilemma of sin. There was a solution for her son's dilemma of sin and death, by the way, right? Because they're tied together. Sin and death go together. The reason there's death is because of sin. So when this baby comes to earth, and then of course Christ, he, he, he grows, and when He goes to the cross and then He dies, the other part of the story is the fact that He is raised from the dead. And there's a declaration in that. There's a declaration of hope. There's a declaration of victory when Christ goes to the cross and He goes to the grave and then He's raised from the grave. That's, that's what all of this is about. You see that? That is God vindicating the work that Christ does. That's God vindicating. Here it is. is vindicating His justice. He's saying that Christ, the wages of sin is what? It's death. But what does Christ do? He goes to the cross. He suffers death, but He's raised from the dead. And when He does that, that's God declaring to the world that in Christ, death has been defeated. Oh, death, where is your sting? The Bible says. That's what this is all about. You know? It's, it is about, hey, it's, it's, it's about... Everything in life 
is about Christ. It should be. It really is. Everything reflects Christ. It should. That's the, that should be our chief goal in life. To glorify Christ. To enjoy Christ. To live for Christ. To help others find Christ. To help others be encouraged in Christ. It should, it should operate in everything we do. Um, and, and, and that's why. You know, God created everything for Him. For His own glory. Right? We're made not for us. We're made to glorify Him. These angels, they're glorifying God. Somebody asked this. And you might have heard this in a catechism, but one of the catechism questions is, what is the chief end of man? Is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. I love the second part, right? To enjoy God forever. This is not just about, oh, my sins are forgiven and I'm good, therefore I'm going to go live my life however I want to live. What happens is when you're born again, you have a a true enjoyment when it comes to the things of God. You enjoy this stuff. It becomes a delight, right? You enjoy it. There's something that you, you, you hunger for that it feeds you. But then there's this too. What is the chief end of God? It's the same answer. To glorify God and to enjoy God forever. That's the chief end of God. So what Christ does on the cross glorifies God. Bringing in sinners glorifies God. Isn't that beautiful? Christmas Christ being born to a virgin in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago glorifies God. So, like Paul says, and we'll close, you know what Paul says? Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. That's what this is about. Alright, let's pray. Oh God, we thank You for this day. We thank You for for this word out of Luke. We thank You for this, this scene. Oh Lord, what a sight that must have been. And we do thank You, O oh God, that, that those, words of, of, uh, those words of comfort that those angels gave those men, they still, they, still have, uh, they still have precedence today. Although we're removed 2,000 years and we speak different languages, we have different names and eat different foods. And, and yet, Lord, we, we, we thank You, O oh God, that this is good news for all people. It's good news for Your people, O oh Lord, for those who call upon Your name. Lord, bless this season. Lord, that we would grow closer to You this, this holiday season. That our love for Christ would increase day by day. That we'd be faithful in whatever You call us to do. Lord, that Your hand would be upon these, these folks here. Lord, that your, that your blessings would be upon wheat fields. And that You would be in the rooms of each of these residents. That You would, that you would bless them, O oh God. And that You would um, encourage them and strengthen them in their faith. We thank You. Thank You, O oh God, that You care for us. Thank You that You count the number of hairs that are on our head. That You know us, O oh Lord. That you've told your people from, from the beginning of time, and, and we see Christ saying the same thing that he says, Fear not, little flock. And we thank you, O oh God, that you can say the same thing to us, Lord, that you do say that. So whatever fears we have, whatever whatever concerns, whatever regrets, whatever sins, give us grace to cast them at the feet of Christ. And that you would be honored. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.